Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachar Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that is focusing this summer on the best way to care for its forest, beaches, and waterways through a promotion that emphasizes cleaning up and leaving no trace. We'll dive into just how they do that a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages Oregonians to enjoy parks safely this summer. If you're camping, Please follow campfire safety guidelines, such as keeping the flames from your fire to no more than two feet in height and using the fire ring provided at your campsite. And please use local wood to avoid bringing invasive insects into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about campfire guidelines, including current restrictions at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we've got a good one. We're headed out to the high desert sunshine and big whitewater rapids of the lower Deschutes River to talk about all things rafting on what might be Oregon's most accessible and iconic river trip. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, in today's episode, we're heading down to what's probably Oregon's most popular whitewater rafting trip, and that is the Lower Deschutes River. It's home to big waves, high desert scenery, and summer flows, and this river really offers just about everything you could want in a day trip or a multi-day camping adventure. It's a river that has a lot of commercial outfitters, but is also a place that's great for learning to do it yourself. Earlier this summer, I brought my family on a four-day adventure down the Deschutes on a trip organized by Jared Linkhart and his family. Jared's not a commercial guide, but he is a river expert with a knack for bringing people together and helping families experience some great river trips. He runs a number of Facebook groups, including Whitewater Families of the Pacific Northwest, that are invaluable for getting good information and getting on the water. So Jared joins us today to talk about the Lower Deschutes. Hey, Jared, how's it going? It is going great. All right. Also joining him to chime in here and there are his teenage son, Jacob, and his 12-year-old daughter, Emma, who both run their own boats on the Deschutes and lots of other rivers and are now the heroes of my two young daughters. So Emma and Jacob, great to see you guys again. Hi. All right. So now that we've got a whole family of river experts on, Jared, let's start off with some basics. So by definition, the Lower Deschutes begins just below Pelton Dam and runs about 100 miles to the mouth of the Columbia. There's a main supply town 
uh, or a place to get a guided trip, and that is the outpost of Maupin, which is about a two-hour drive from Portland or Bend. So if you're going to center yourself on a trip there, Maupin is kind of a good place to do it. So that's the area that we're talking about. So Jared, let's start out with a really overarching question. So what for you makes the Lower Deschutes so special for rafting in Oregon? Like what makes it stick out compared to the rest of the rivers in the state? So one of the things about the Deschutes is it's that area of Maupin is kind of a Mecca. So once you you cross over the Cascades and uh, and you break out of the trees, you go into the desert and and when you get close to mop and you drop into this this canyon that you know on top is uh is sagebrush and hardly any trees and then down at the bottom there's this big beautiful flowing river that always has water all year round so is it the scenery and and the rapids how do you feel when you get to the deschutes oh man i uh i love dropping down the hill and seeing the water and and you know most of the year when we go over there it's it's super warm it's almost always in the 80s or 90s or or even in the 100s and and to uh you know to get to experience um a, a big river like that with you know cloudless days and and beautiful sunshine and and the river itself is incredible i mean you, you put that in any canyon and it would be spectacular but in in the in the desert scenery it's it's uh it's really really beautiful jacob and emma so you guys have been on a lot of different oregon rivers what do you like about the deschutes specifically and we'll start out with jacob for me what sticks out specifically is like immediately when you arrive like you open the car door from air conditioning and and you step out into this amazing heat that immediately like you don't feel cold ever up there like <laughs> if you and then if you get in the river it, it you get out and you immediately feel warm still it's a great place to swim and it's got amazing landscape with amazing geography like you look any direction and you immediately notice all amazing like rock features and like different plants and i think it's really beautiful and like the white water itself is just awesome emma what do, what do you like about the deschutes i like it because it gives you a challenge and it's a little harder of a river and the water is really nice yeah because both of you guys have both of you guys run your rapids so i mean emma you ran some you know some class three and even some you know borderline class four rapids down there do you feel comfortable is it is it fun challenging yourself like that yeah all right well, one thing that i guess stuck out to me when we were talking about the lower deschutes and as you guys took me on the river was it kind of has this full package for day trips and overnight trips like you know it's within striking distance of the willamette valley so you can get there uh, but it has water and campsites and kind of everything all year round that's a little bit different than the west side like for example, I live on the North Sanium River or pretty close to it. And that's great for day trips, but you can't really camp there in the same way, which is kind of the same for the McKenzie and the North Umpqua. Like you can camp out there, but it's not the same kind of experience where you're bringing your whole camp down the river. And really for Oregon, the two big summertime rafting and camping rivers, it's really just the Deschutes and Rogue. And it's a little harder to get permits for the Rogue. I mean, is that fair, Jared? I mean, are those kind of the two big ones and is the Deschutes a little bit easier to access uh yeah i would definitely say the the deschutes is easier to access the the rogue you know people come from all over the western united states to do the rogue river some even farther than that and there can only be so many people on on the rogue river at a time so 
it's um, it's pretty difficult. I've I've uh, I've only I've only been able to score one permit myself on the Rogue in the summertime, and that was that was a cancellation. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the Deschutes is a it is a regulated river. You know, you do have to have a permit to do either a day trip or an overnight trip on it, but. I've uh, I've never run into a problem where I couldn't get a permit within a week of of whatever day I wanted to launch. Yeah, uh, it feels like it feels like the juice is is kind of always there for you when when you yeah. want it. Do you think that's a good way of putting it? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we talked about the the lower Deschutes being about a hundred miles, but there's some pretty big differences in there. So, Jared, what are the main sections of the river, and kind of what defines them? So, like, what makes them distinct from each other? So, what, how how would you split up in broad strokes the lower Deschutes? So the uh, so section four, going by by the uh, how they how they split it up in the permitting system, section four is from Warm Springs down to Maupin. And, and that section there, there's a, there's a small section you can day raft. Um, if you're fishing, it, it really doesn't have any white water, but you can go from warm springs to trout Creek and it's about a 10 mile float, but it's, you know, it, it really is uh, more for fishing than anything else, but anywhere from, uh, you can go from warm springs to Maupin and that's a, that's a, um, a multi-day camping trip where, um, you know, for a lot of the trip, you're uh, on the left side of the river is the Warm Springs Indian Reservation. And on the right is um, the side that you're allowed to, uh, to land your boat and camp on. And, um, and it's, it's the most roadless section, even though there is still the railroad track that follows the river almost the entire 100 mile distance. Um, and then uh, once you get into Mop and you have um, the, the day trip section, which is, is section two. And that's from Harpham flat down to Sandy beach. And, you know, that's, that's a, a heavily outfitted area. So a lot of people go over and, and they use a, a quality outfitter and, and they get to go have a nice eight, eight to 10 mile experience on the river through some really, really fun class three, class four rapids. And, you know, the town is, um, is really accommodating to the, to the boaters. There's great, um, camping opportunity there in town. And, um, and it's a lot of fun. And then the, the lowest sections, um, section, uh, one and two are the, the, the section that we did with you, um, where you can put in at Buck Hollow, which is right below, um, Shears Falls, and you can raft all the way to the mouth. And on that part, there is, um, some of it, there's a gravel road that follows the river. And then uh, once you get to Max Canyon, the uh, the gravel road ends, and it's it's a roadless section until you get to Heritage Landing at the the mouth of the river. Jared, do you have a favorite segment? Like, if you you know, say you had just just one trip you could do for the summer, which I mean, knowing you wouldn't be the case since you're usually doing a couple trips. But if you could had to just pick one segment to do, which which one would it be? Oh, you know, I I think I I would have to do segment four. I really like the the uh, the Warm Springs to Maupin section right now. And um, a lot of that has been wildlife. We've seen a lot of wildlife in that in that section this summer, and, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, what about you guys, uh, Jacob? What's uh, what's your favorite segment on the lower Deschutes? So for me, it's a really hard decision because up top on the upper part, you got um, White Horse, which is amazing, fun, technical, rapid. But I think it, yeah, it's gonna have to be the lower for me because you put in. Uh, and it's just like a month, there's a bunch of rapids. They're all really fun. And it's just beautiful canyons all around. Mm-hmm. And it's just awesome scenery. 
but it, it's always fun because you have like a mix of white water and a mix of geographical features going down the lower. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it has, um, instead of having like a bigger rapid, instead of like up top, there's instead of having like one big rapid, there's a, there's a few, um, smaller, but still pretty big, um, rapids spread out across the low, um, the lower section. Well, Jared, not everybody is up for overnight trips on the lower Deschutes that it's known for. I mean, some people just want to, you know, travel from Bend or from Portland for the day, just come down and hang out and mopping and do these day trips. So if people are going to do that either with an outfitter or with, uh, you know, you know, their own boat, what can they, what can they expect in those day runs? Um, so most of the, uh, most people run, they, they put in at Harpham Flats um, and, from there, you have a, a quick warm up for hmm, about a mile or two. It's pretty calm, and then you uh, you get to Upper Wapanisha Rapid, which is uh, it has some really big waves in it. Uh, it, it and it's a a good a good starter rapid um, to see what the river is going to be like for the day. And then uh, shortly after that, there's there's Devil's Hole, which um, you can bypass or or um, it's it's really fun to take a raft through there, uh, either sideways or or headlong into this great big hole and it, it, uh, it soaks everybody usually. And then, um, right after that is boxcar rapid, which is one of the, the two big rapids on the, the mop and, uh, day run. And, um, and boxcar is, is a really fun rapid. If you run it right, you can, you can fill the boat with water and, um, and there, they actually take pictures there that you can buy afterwards. Um, that, uh, uh, there's a new, a new guy that's, he's, he's been setting up a camera there and he's got a, a little billboard out with his, his, uh, web address. So you can go online and purchase pictures from him. And then, um, and then it, it calms down for a little ways, uh, as you pass right through, uh, mop in the town and you can, uh, you can actually pull over and, and, uh, run up to the Imperial Lodge and eat lunch if you want to, and then go jump back in your boat and keep going. And, um, and then the, the big, the big grand finale rapid of the day is, um, Oak Springs. That one is a, a class four rapid. It has a big rock Island in the center of the, the river. Um, the, the easier side on the, the left side is, is a, a great splash and, and, um, lots of fun and you work your way through, a um, the bedrock and, and waves and holes or, um, on the right side is a, a great big hole that, uh, is really fun to punch, but, but uh, it's it's kind of a roll of the dice. Sometimes you make it, and sometimes your boat goes over backwards. Can you describe the the mopping scene a little bit? You know, I hadn't thought of this, but I mean, if you go down there for the day, um, I mean, can you describe the town? Maybe some favorite places to eat, and just kind of the culture there. Because I mean, Mopin's a you know that's a iconic river town. So how how would you describe it? Uh, it's pretty awesome. So the, you have your your pick of different outfitters in town. Um, there's a, there's a great store, um, up in the, the downtown area, which is actually a little bit above the river. Um, there's a, a place to, to grab ice cream in the middle of town. Um, it's fun just to walk around. There's a little city park, uh, that's, that's shaded. We actually, uh, we ate there after a trip, um, earlier this summer, we, we went over to the store, got sandwiches there and just went, went and, and sat on a, on a picnic bench with the dogs and, and the kids and we ate our sandwiches and then we drove home for afterwards. And, uh, you know, people are, people are really nice. There's, there's, a, um, it's high energy there because a lot of people there are there to raft. So, um, they're, everybody's having a good time. Um, it's, it's very family friendly. 
you know, you have a fun time and, and, uh, you know, it's a great social experience cause you can, you can talk to other people while you're on the river and, and, you know, um, it's not, not uncommon for, for water fights to happen amongst groups <laughs> or, or, you know, somebody will just sneak up on you with a bunch of water, water guns and you find yourself in the middle of a, a water fight you weren't expecting. <laughs> if I may. Like, yeah, go I, ahead, Jacob. I feel like when you enter Maupin, like it's a nice little town and it's not like what you'd expect because you look around like you can roll down your windows because you're off the highway and it, it, you get the nice warm air coming through the window, but it's not too hot. And then, but in, it's very beautiful. There's like, it's not dry. It's not very dry though. Cause there's like plenty of green grass and flowers and it's very beautiful. And then you have, and you have the over, like you have a view of the river in plenty of spots and you can just, and like, if you're just driving around in like the town or you're going down to the, near the river, or going across the bridge, like you have a bunch of beautiful scenes and there's, there's a lot of wildlife and it's, it's very pretty up there and it's awesome to be there. Yeah. It's, it's it, one thing that jumped out to me was that it's very much like a desert oasis town because this, you know, when you travel across Eastern Oregon, you know, there's just nothing except for like sagebrush for like miles and miles. And then you'll drop into, you know, towns like French Glen or I don't know any number of the the little Eastern Oregon towns. And all of a sudden there's just like, it's there's greenery and it feels cooler. And, and Maupin is like, is like that. A lot of them are a little slower paced. I feel like Maupin is like a classic Eastern Oregon town on steroids almost, or on caffeine uh, is probably a better one. Cause people are just moving around a little bit more where <laughs> the other ones it's, it's a little bit quieter, but yeah, you know, my aunt Carrie took her kids down there and did that commercial run last year. And she said it was like the most fun, they had all summer like that it was a really good uh, outfitter that they're really good with like medium age kids because they just you know they know how to run the waves they know how to like put the kids on the front of the raft so they have like a really good time so it sounds like an amazing way to spend the day honestly but before we head to break jared you know one of the things i wasn't expecting and or had kind of forgotten about because the scenery is so great you don't think about it and you're in a big desert canyon but occasionally like in the middle of the night a train will roar by <laughs> it definitely woke me up a few times and was just really surprising until I remembered what it was. Um, so, Jerry, do you mind telling the story about this dueling railroad track owners and kind of how the the train shapes your experience a little bit? Yeah. So, um, so a long time ago in the 1800s, there there was a um, a contract that was put out to put a a rail line between Bend and the Columbia River. And um, two companies competed for the contract and they, they didn't just make a bid and whoever won the lowest bid got the contract. One company started a rail line on the east side of the river and one started a rail line on the west side of the river. And, and um, they just started building and it, uh, it turned into a railroad war where they were, uh, um, you know, they were trying to beat each other out. Uh, sometimes fairly and sometimes not fairly. Sometimes they would sabotage each other's bridges or they would release rattlesnakes into one camp. <laughs> or uh, I even heard stories about them shooting at each other across the river, you know, because that was just the, the day and age for that kind of thing. It was really the wild west out there. And, and um, the, uh, the rail line on the, on the west side of the river won out. So now on the, when you're, in the, the lower sections of the river below the um, below Shears Falls, 
the gravel road that we use to go all the way down to Max Canyon. And then it turns into a trail from there all the way to the mouth. That's that was the railroad bed that lost, but is still used as a road today. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how how the one side that lost has become kind of nice because I've I've rode my bike a long way into the Deschutes Canyon. It's it's a great trail. Like it's a fantastic trail. And then that river access is really nice. But then, uh, you know, having the train that'll go by, how often do trains actually pass? Is it like a daily occurrence? Uh, you know, it's sporadic. Um, last weekend, we were on the uh, on the trout to Maupin section and we had one train go by overnight for for the two nights we were there and sometimes you'll have three trains go by so you, you just you never know what to expect do you do you tell people when you bring them down to think about because i swear the first night we were out camping with you guys and i heard the train go by i thought that we were like under an alien invasion or something crazy was was happening before i figured out <laughs> what was going on so is it i mean like does that surprise people or like have you seen funny reactions Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people, it, it really freaks them out. And, um, and the train sounds different depending on which direction it's coming from and wh what camp you get. There are a few camps that I will, I will just not stay at because they're, they're just too close to the, the railroad tracks. So, and I've kind of learned like certain camps I've camped at and you're not that close to the railroad tracks, but like, uh, there's one, there's a camp called airstrip on the lower, the lowest section of the Deschutes that, uh, it's, it's, a uh, um, they, they switch lines there. There's actually two tracks up there. And so you, you, uh, and it could be in the middle of the night when they do this, where one train will stop and you'll hear all the, all the turnbuckles in between every single car loosen up and then tighten back up, which makes a ton of noise. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, uh, it can be, it could be a challenge. <laughs> well, it's just, it's a funny part of the experience because you feel pretty isolated, uh, for the most part, even when there's like a road and, and things like that, it feels like, you know, if it's not quite a wilderness experience, it feels pretty darn close to it. And then to have like a train go by is just, it's, uh, it, it adds to the, to the personality of the Deschutes. I guess I'll just put it like that. Yeah. So we're going to take a, a quick break to hear from our sponsors. In the second half, we're going to talk about the overnight adventures, what to expect and how to set up an overnight trip. So that's when we return. I'm Sarah Gafori with American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. I moved to Oregon because of my love for the outdoors. It also inspired me to go to law school and pursue a career in environmental law. At AFRC, I have the pleasure of advocating for science-based forest management throughout the West. Protecting our public lands helps achieve important conservation goals, including clean air, clean water, and robust wildlife habitat. It also helps provide renewable, climate-friendly wood products that we all depend on. We strongly believe that active management of our public lands is the right thing to do for the environment, for the economy, and for our future. Learn more about AFRC at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. On the Tillamook Coast, we've cared for our forest, farmlands, beaches, and waterways for generations. It's in our DNA, and we bet it's in yours too. 
while visiting, help us care for our coast. Place trash in garbage cans, pick up after your pet, stay on trails, respect private property, and follow beach fire rules, which means extinguishing fires with water while also checking local rules to avoid igniting wildfires. Tillamook Coast welcomes your visit, and we hope that you'll become a temporary local while here. A few ways to do that include pitching in on a beach cleanup or taking a guided kayak tour to hear about ways to protect bays and rivers. There are science hikes to take, nature preserves and marine reserves to explore, or you can visit a farm, a commercial fishing dock, or even stop by a fish hatchery. Find out about all these options and how to care for our coast at tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. Once again, it's tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. All right, welcome back. Let's jump into the overnight trips because, you know, that's, that's I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about that makes this river so great is that you can get lost on a, you know, 40 or 50 mile trip in multiple days, big rapids, beautiful campsites. Um, and, you know, it's known for its fishing as well. So let's, let's kind of talk about that full package experience and how to make it happen. Uh, so we start off with the fact that, you know, if you're not on a guided trip, you do need a permit. Uh, you probably need a shuttle. So Jared, you directed me to the pretty easy way to make that happen. Uh, you get your permits on recreation.gov. They were a little bit pricier uh, than I had expected. Uh, just they're a little cheaper on the on the John Day, but that's okay. And then we used Linda's shuttles to get our cars from the put-in to the takeout. That was another $100 or so. So those were two important things. Um, but what are the other critical things you need to know before or to have along before starting an overnight trip? Um, so the, the first thing you kind of already touched on it is, um, uh, any, any rivers you camp on in, in, uh, Oregon expect to pack everything out that you pack in. So if you, um, so you, you are required to carry a toilet system and sometimes there, there are actually, we haven't talked about this, but there are, uh, there are bathrooms at the larger camps on, on the, uh, um, the, the overnight sections of the Deschutes river. So sometimes you get lucky and you don't ever use your, your toilet system. It just stays on the boat empty. Um, but you are required to have one right now. Of course, we're in fire season, which means, uh, there are no fires allowed on the, on the Deschutes river, or any other river for that matter in the state. Um, it, but in the, in the shoulder season, um, uh, let's see after October 15th, you are allowed to have fires on the Deschutes river again. But if you bring one, you need to bring a fire blanket, a fire pan with, uh, I think it has to be like two or three inch high sides on the pan. And then you have to bring a, uh, a canister to haul your ashes out. So, so everything you bring in with you, you have to bring out and, uh, you know, same thing goes for trash. And those are, those are really the, the big, the big items for, for, you know, what you need to be legal on the river. There's a ton of outfitter guided trips uh, on the lower Deschutes, um, but people also try to, you know, do this on their own. So for you, where does your skill level kind of need to be to, to try this one yourself versus going with an outfitter? Uh, I think, you know, you want to be at least really confident in class two and, and have some class three experience. Um, you know, most, most people, it's a highly used river and most people get down it just fine, but there are a few rapids that can cause us some problems. 
And, um, and I, I definitely, um, I recommend people to go with, you know, find, find people that are more experienced than you. So you have a good safety net and you feel more safer when you're challenging yourself to, to bigger whitewater. Yeah. Yeah. So do you see, when you see people getting into trouble on the deschutes, where does it usually happen and, and what, what goes wrong? Um, the, the big one is, um, usually white horse, uh, that one, it, it, it can, um, so there's some rocks that stick out pretty prominently in that one. So it's more of a technical rapid and, and people, um, they wrap their rafts on the rocks and, and they have to be pulled off and, um, and they flip their rafts there. And, uh, just recently we, we, uh, we were almost witness to a drift boat sinking there. And we, we helped the, uh, the two guys that were in the drift boat, um, get out because they, they, uh, they lost their craft and needed, needed a ride basically to the end, they did a lot of things right. that kept them safe. Um, but you know, unfortunately they were on a single boat trip, so they didn't have anybody else there to help them immediately after what happened. And, and that's always, uh, that's always a risk, no matter your, your skill level is, you know, if you have, if you have friends there that are capable of helping you, you're, you're much, much safer. So Jared, why don't you talk about the, the group that you go with? I think you, you've called them your river family or your rafting family a few times. And for people, you know, I've done whitewater kayaking, so I understand how it's kind of a team sport. Like if you're doing this right, you're going with a group of other people who are experienced and that's the best way to be safe. But can you kind of talk about what having that core group brings to the table on rafting trips? Because it's not just experience, you know, it's equipment, it's cooking. So how does your raft family kind of make it a better, you know, safer experience? So for one, uh, quite a few of us, like we, the, a lot of the people in, in my core group, we, we think a lot alike. Um, we think about safety. We look out for each other on the river. Um, uh, we're, there are a few of us in the group that we're, we're really detail focused. So we've, we've thought through, you know, the, the ins and outs of what can happen before we go on the trip. And, and, um, and then, you know, to make things easier on ourselves, we, we, uh, we all bring certain, certain pieces of equipment that are, you know, a little bit on the higher end side, like, you know, I, I, uh, I bought a, a really nice toilet system a few years ago. So when we do rivers where there, there aren't toilets available, we have, we have a nice, a nice system to use that's available for my whole group. And we have other people that, you know, we have one friend that he has a fantastic kitchen system. I actually have a few people that, that we boat with that, you know, they have a, a, a great kitchen that accommodates a large group. So not everybody has to bring a stove. Not everybody has to bring a table, but everybody gets to contrib contribute something. So we're, we're not carrying a bunch of redundant gear and, and we have a really nice camp set up when it's, when, when everything is there and everybody's there, you know, we're, we, uh, we usually will have some sort of a shade system. If it's hot, we have a, a great place to eat communally and, and, uh, you know, we, we don't want for much when we're on these trips and, and we, <laughs> we eat really well everybody contributes. Nobody, nobody it, like wants a free ride. Everybody wants to feel like they've helped out and contributed. And, um, and, you know, it's just, it's a wonderful sense of community in camp and, and on the river. And, and yeah, the, the people we boat with, they've, they've become super close. You know, one, one of our friends, Auntie Tanya, 
she's not really auntie, but she she's uh, she's watched our kids before off of the river so we could go on trips. And um, and, you know, they're they're just they really are like family to us. Let's talk about um, rattlesnakes a little bit. You know, I'd kind of forgotten about that, but, you know, they are, uh, you know, they're out there. Um, that's true of a lot of, you know, high desert rivers. But what has your experience been with rattlesnakes? We actually had some in in our camp. It didn't end up being being a big deal. But like, you know, how, how do you look at that on the lower Deschutes? Is it uh, something you're just keeping an eye out for? Or like, how, how do you consider rattlesnakes? So this year has been kind of an interesting year. There was there was a guy that got bit by a rattlesnake um, on, at North Junction Camp, which is on the uh, the uppermost section, and and luckily um, he was able to get treatment and he's fine now. But he you know he reported to the river community that hey this happened be careful, and um, and then we were there a few a few weeks later and we camped not far from that camp and we had three snakes in our camp in a matter of hours. And, and, um, you know, I've been going over to the Deschutes river since I was 10 years old. And that was the, the most rattlesnakes I've seen at one time in that entire, um, expansive time I've been going over there. I can go years of camping on the Deschutes and never see a rattlesnake. So this year has been kind of odd. I don't know, uh, I don't know if there there really are more snakes over there this season for some reason, or or if uh, if I've just personally been exposed to more snakes this year and it's it's just been a coincidence. But you know they're they're always a concern with me. You know having having my two kids with us and then our two Labradors they always go with us on our overnight trips and you know they're they really worry me because they just you know they don't go on trails they go wherever they want and they're they're curious animals and they don't know to stay away from snakes so so it's a concern but you know as long as i've been going over there you just don't hear a lot about dogs getting getting bit or people getting bit so you know it's it's something we just try to manage by by being careful but not enough to deter me from going over there yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's an issue, but it's not necessarily a deterrent. I mean, that's true of a lot. I mean, anytime you go into a wild place, you know, there could be a, you know, a black bear around. If you're, you know, up in Montana, there could be grizzlies around, you know, they're just kind of a fact of life. Um, and if you take precautions, hopefully it's not, not a big deal. Well, one thing that I wanted to do was jump ahead to, you know, the rapids. We talked a little bit about Whitehorse and, and the other ones, but they're mostly class three. So, I mean, Jared, you know, when you're doing these overnight trips, um, what are, what are the rapids that you're, you're thinking about most starting with the upper one and then moving to the lower one? Um, so yeah, white horses is, is the big one. Um, so last weekend, Kimberly and I did it and, um, there was, there was a raft that was stuck actually, um, when we got there and we, we were asked to pull over why they got the boat off. And, and before I even had a chance to get out of my raft to go help they got the raft uh, safely off the rock and downstream. So, and, and, you know, that one, like I said, that one is, um, that one's more technical. And then um, uh, at higher flows, Buckskin Mary, which is uh, um, closer to Maupin on the upper section, um, that rapid can get big and it's been known to flip rafts, but usually at summer flows, it's not an issue. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, uh, and then in town, you know, the, the mop and run, we already talked about and boxcar and Oak Springs. Those are, those are pretty sizable rapids, but not, not for the overnight stuff. And then, um, uh, when you get to the, 
the lower section, the Buck Hollow to Heritage Landing section, um, you really don't have any notable rapids until the last day. You know, most of them are in that last eight mile stretch. First big one is Washout Rapids. And, you know, even really that rapid, uh, you know, you experienced it. It's there's a, a great big hole on the right that will flip a raft, will stick a raft. But it's, you know, there, there's a there's an easy channel down the left. So as long as you know where you're at, it's really easy to avoid it. And then um, uh, there's Colorado Rapids, which is just, you know, a bunch of big waves. It, it was, a, you know, it was a, a no big deal rapid for us. And then um, and the Rattlesnake Rapid is a pretty good rapid that, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I went down the biggest part of it. it. It was no big deal. It splashed the raft a little bit. Well, my, my girls would disagree slightly on, on Colorado because I, you know, I've got such a big boat that it basically just plowed through the middle of it. The, the, the wave came over the top of us and they, they, you know, they were ready. They love rapids. They're usually yelling at me to, to get more into them, uh, but that one uh, hit them, hit them pretty good. And they're like, we went underwater. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way I think about the, the, the shoots. It feels like, I mean, you know, you can get stuck on a ra- on a rock here and there. Some issues can happen, but like Jacob was saying, by and large, you're going to be okay. Like you don't hear about a ton of like really serious uh, accidents on the Deschutes. Do you, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Okay. Um, so the campsites are obviously a big part of rafting the Deschutes. I mean, you know, that's what makes it so great. So what defines the campsites of the Deschutes compared to other rivers that you've rafted? And what are you looking for in a good campsite? My big things is shade and sand. Those are, those are my two favorite things in the world for campsites. And, and sometimes um, there, there's not a ton of sandy camps on the, on the Deschutes, but there's a few, but, uh, and, and of course, you know, shade is, um, shade is super important. It's, it gets hot. It's, you know, it's easily in the nineties, almost every weekend over there in the summertime, a, a good shaded spot is super important. And, um, and I, I try not to prioritize them too much, but camps with, uh, with the nice Phoenix toilets. Um, mm. if, if, uh, if anybody has, has experienced a Phoenix outdoor toilet, they're about the best because they, they uh, they use a, a sawdust system with a with a hopper that it um, it's constantly mixing waste underneath and you you uh, you put a pour a little bit of sawdust in there every time you you use the bathroom. So when you walk in there, there's there's no smell. You know they're they're always clean. Oh, and they're they're large. That's another nice thing. I'm kind of a large person, so I, I don't really like getting into the really small bathrooms. You know, Jacob and Emma, we haven't heard from you guys in just a little bit. So what do you have favorite campsites on the Deschutes? Like, are there ones that like you're rooting for your, your dad to get or like certain things you're looking for? Or like, like, how do you guys think about campsites? I like having usually plenty of trees and a nice big eddy because we always only over days we go in the water and go swim or when we have inner tubes, we go in the water and I like having a nice shady spot by the water to just sit there and talk. <laughs> yep, it's 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 definitely heaven when you're just sitting in in the water, in the shade, and you're having a good time. We had that at one of our, our campsites, and and the kids just sat there in the shade on this table and made these uh, bracelets and stuff. I swear for you know three, four, five hours or something yeah. like that, and it's just such a such a peaceful vibe. I don't think you find 
many places on earth that are quite as peaceful as the Deschutes in the water, in the shade. It's just, it's just a good situation. Jared, do you notice a big difference between weekends and midweek? Like, you know, for like hiking and backpacking and stuff like that, that's become a really big thing. Like people trying to focus on going midweek because the weekends have gotten to be some such a crush. Do you notice the same thing, uh, you know, on the river, on the Deschutes in particular? Uh, yeah, on the Deschutes, it really quiets down during midweek. So, um, you know, if you if you do launch on like a, a Monday or a Tuesday, it's going to be a lot easier to find camps. And because because the river is so accessible to the Portland area, it's really easy if you're a Portlander to go over there, you know, just like I did last weekend. We launched on a Friday morning and we got off the river on a Sunday. Um, so, you know, it, it, and we didn't have to take any time off to do that. My wife and I both work four days a week. And um, so it, it, you know, the weekends become more high demand in the middle of the week. It's not as busy. So if you're looking for a little bit quieter um, experience, uh, especially in the summertime, I would recommend trying to do it midweek. All right. Well, once again, I've been talking to Jared, Jacob and Emma Linkhart. They're a great rafting family, and you can find a lot of Jared's advice and insights about all things rafting in Oregon at Facebook pages like Whitewater Families of the PNW. Thanks again so much, guys, for taking us on the trip, uh, for being able to you know share your wisdom about it. Uh, I just I really appreciate it. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.